You are listening to Alpha Male Buddhist from Brooklyn podcast. Expand your mind and keep it love. This is episode 145 and I'm your host, Miguel. I just want to thank all the listeners for the great positive feedback that I've been getting in the form of emails, five-star reviews, and uh, yeah, spread the word, you know, get on there, give me a nice five-star review, a good good review on Stitcher or, or Apple, wherever you listen. And we're going to get into the show. So, the last episode did receive really, really good feedback, Dr. Joe Dispenza, and it had some great information on there. Now, in that same vein, I came across a documentary the other day called All is Self, and it was put out by Joseph Kaufman. And I'm going to ask you to support this young man because this documentary this video to me is really profound because he was able to encapsulate so much truth in in this documentary in a very simplistic yet profound deep teaching way some people have a tendency that they get into a lot of fancy words and psychology and they almost kind of try to show off in that, you know, they want to impress you on their vocabulary or how, you know, how many different words that they can use. But in this documentary, that's not the case at all. It's really concise, simple, easy to understand, and extremely deep. And it actually matches up pretty good with the last episode with Joe Dispenza in that it's kind of two views of the same thing. But yeah, so support him. He has a pay. This uh, Joseph Kaufman has a Patreon, which is patreon.com forward slash Joseph Kaufman. And I'll spell that out J O S E P H P K A U F F M A N. This book, All Itself, is also available in a download. And that's his website, which is www.conscious collective.com forward slash all. I'll spell that. Uh, com forward slash all. So you can get the free PDF of his book. Please support him. And this is one of the best uh, documentaries that I've seen on the subject as far as being concise, simple to understand, and mind-blowing. So, support Joseph Kaufman and his Patreon. And, of course, this is a a Creative Commons Fair Use License episode. As you know, I don't advertise, so this is just put out for the edification of the listeners. So, before we get into this um, documentary, which is about an hour and a half long, and I'm going to play most of it, there's a couple of little sections that I edited out because they were in Spanish and... It, it's going to be tough for people to understand that don't speak Spanish. I could have translated it, but it would probably lose something in the translation. So, right. So, before we get into this, I want to get into one little element. I was thinking about it just now I was, as I was walking my door coming home, uh, thinking about this episode, and just reflecting on it in a kind of a different light about, about reincarnation, about this meat wagon that we walk around in and how people are really hurting one another and just it seems like they intentionally want to do that with really really bad negative consequences so 
the way I look at it is kind of like this. You know, you have short-term karma, you know, that's going to be like whether the same day, let's say you yell at some dude and then you stub your toe on the way to bed, little things like that, which really does happen. So that could draw out within the same day or karma could draw out within a week or a month or even years, right? But there's a different type of karma that you get your comeuppance as a result of a lifetime of activity and whether it be good or bad. So I'm going to equate it to something like this. We have these families and these so-called rulers, these people that are in power right now that have been running the planet now for the past few hundred years. And we all kind of know who they are and how, how, how that works out. And people ask the question, well, you know, if there's a God and if there's karma, how come they're able to get away with all of these travesties and murders and wars and they can get away with this stuff and all they do is get richer? You can see it that way, but that would be a short-sighted way of looking at it. And I'm going to put it in the form of a metaphor or an allegory. Okay, so you got to kind of follow me along with this so it makes sense because if you're looking at this right and if you comprehend this documentary, you're going to understand that this is this is really a teaching ground and a testing ground for us to evolve moving forward and to get closer to the Godhead. And, and really to understand when you hurt someone else, you're only hurting yourself. When you help someone else, you're only helping yourself. Because all is self. But you look at these families and these super rich people and you say to yourself, wow, they, they get away with all this stuff and, you know, nothing happens with them. Why, why should I really care or why should I believe any of this? So here's the allegory, the metaphor of, of the way I see it, the way it works out. It's kind of like this. Encapsulate the experience of your decisions, of living, of life, of, of the karma and everything that you incur and everything you do within a lifetime, but encapsulate that into you going into a restaurant and ordering a meal, okay? And you're going to go to Tavern on the Green or Shea, whatever, one of the most expensive restaurants in Paris, and you walk into this restaurant and you literally order everything on the menu, you know, the most expensive champagne from, you know, from 1910, and just all out you order like a you know a million dollar meal if that's possible the meal comes to you you enjoy it and it doesn't matter how many people got hurt in you ordering this meal or what tra had to transpire for all of these things to be bought to you you just want this meal it's bought to you you devour it you enjoy it by yourself shamelessly and when you're done with this meal you take the proverbial napkin put it up to your lips and kind of you know you know, uh, wipe off your lips and you're sitting there and inevitably you know what's going to happen. The waiter's going to come to you with the check or the bill for this meal. And you're going to have to pay for this meal. And they have no idea of what that's going to cost them in a karmic eternal sense, you know, in a reincarnation slash, you know, life sense. So, the, the, the bill comes and they're going to have to pay it. So what I'm trying to say is this. They can get away with all of these things right now and, and, and it looks like it's all fine and dandy. But when their day comes and they meet their maker, that's when it's going to the determination of how that bill is going to... They're going to pay that bill of all of the harm that they did because for every action, there's an equal and opposite reaction. So for all of the bad karma that you put out there, you're going you're gonna to get it right back. And I've heard something very similar to this being said where people have had near-death experiences, NDEs, where, you know, they almost went under and died. 
And there were a couple of them that made an impression on me. Specifically this one dude, he was a really bad criminal and he, he was very violent and he beat up a lot of people. And I think he was in a car accident or something happened and he flatlined and he went under. He died for a, f- you know, for a few minutes and came back. And he was being interviewed and he said the point in time that he went into that zone, he saw the light and he saw all these different things. But he saw literally his life flash in front of him. And he was in the position, people that he was beating up and kicking in the face and smashing and slamming. He said he was in the position of being that person that was being beat up. So he himself was being beat up and he could feel every punch that he ever hit someone with, every slam, every everything that he did. He was feeling it on the end, of, on the receiving end. And this all happened in a flash. Another one was a, a, a gentleman that was super rich and he had a lot of money and he used to swindle people and just do a lot of really bad things. And in a very similar way, he was in a position of, of being hurt by those moves. And when he came back, it completely changed his life 180 degrees and he kind of really started helping people and giving money away to the needy and he just took a whole different view on life and he said he was able to en- enjoy life that much more, just realizing the right way of living. So I figured I would just kind of put that in before we get into this. Another thing about this uh, documentary is, as great as it is, the one thing they neglected to mention is meditation. Because they're explaining to you the benefits and how all of these things are connected and the, and the mechanics behind all of it. But in order to get to that point, you need to do the practice of meditation so that you can get out of the self, out of the out of the the thinking mind and get into the consciousness that we all share together, get into that oneness, into that space. And the only way that that is possible is through meditation, real meditation, which as you know is not easy. And in the last episode, episode 144, um, that last little 10 minute segment is a really good guide. But if you get on YouTube, there's some really good um, guides to meditating. The one thing I will say is when you know you're listening to a good guide on meditation is when they tell you to focus on because I don't believe in chanting uh, mantras and stuff like that because when you're chanting a mantra that mantra is actually on your mind so it's pulling you away from where you want to go real meditation is to focus on your breath centering yourself again focusing on your breath ideas come into your head and as these ideas come into your head you visualize them as a puffy cloud or something like that and you just let it float by and you just continue to try to clear your mind focusing on your breath until it's a blue sky and you will literally go to some place and it's palpable i mean you'll be in a place where you'll feel the infinite space of existence and your connection to all things and it'll come in a flash it'll come like three seconds and then it's gone and you're like wait what was that And then you kind of get back into it. And you might not get to that state. You might have to go back and meditate like another two or three times or whatever. But it's going to get to the point where you get good at it and you're going to be able to maintain in that space. I can't really describe it. It's just you have to be there and there's no mistaking it. When you're in that space, you'll feel that connection to all things. And it's it's profound. But you got to work at it, man. It's not easy. It's, It's all good things, you know, don't come easy. So, he, yeah, he neglected to get into the meditation aspect of of what you need to do you know in this uh, in this uh, documentary so yeah get into that and the other thing that I do 
is what I call a living meditation. A few years back, I think in the 60s, there was a book by the name of Zen in the Art of Motorcycle Maintenance. Very famous book. Picked it up. I was reading that right around the time I was reading, reading Carlos Castaneda's Separate Reality. I think I read this book next, Zen in the Art of Motorcycle Maintenance. And what the book is basically about is a guy, he had an old Japanese motorcycle, I think it was a Honda or something like that. And he talked about the process the process of him getting the bike and everything like that, but the process of him changing the oil and doing maintenance on it, but in almost like a devotional meditative way where he blocked everything out and the only thing in his existence was the rag that he used to wipe the oil stick. You know, like he just gets into it real deep. So what it is is like, having living a life or, or or having what's called a living meditation so when and you're not going to walk through your whole day in a state of meditation or something like that but you know let's say you're going to wash the dishes something as simple as that make it a meditation block everything out of your mind you have these dishes in front of you and you make it a devotion at the way you wash these dishes or change your oil or whatever it is that you're doing whatever task you have in front of you you zone out and you get into it so yeah, that's the meditation aspect of it. And the one takeaway that you should really be able to get from this uh, documentary is that you are not this body. You are not this mind. You are not your name. You are not your career. You are not what you have in your bank account or the car you drive. You are pure awareness and consciousness, which we share with the universe and we share with one another there is no you there's no me there's just oneness and we need to be infinitely aware of this you are the seer that can't be seen you are the listener that can't be heard so the first speaker that you're going to hear on this is a Lakota you know Lakota spiritual teacher by the name of Chase Iron Eyes and he gets into uh, ancestor teaching versus science versus modern technology he also gets into the creation story of his people and he gets into water and how profound and the position that water holds in his um, ancestral teachings and one of the lines that uh, stuck with me is he says um, he says we are all indigenous people because a lot of times people feel that you know when you say indigenous people it's you know, some tribesmen in the Amazon climbing trees and, you know, fishing with spears. But whatever country or, or, or area you're from, country or culture you're from, you're indigenous to that country. So that's all that that means. And I really like his uh, his message, what he brings forth, you know. The next uh, speaker is going to be Amit Goswami. He's a theoretical physicist and he lays it down. And he gets into the interconnectivity of all things. And one of the things that really kind of blew me away is he talks about the observer and the observed. I would get into detail with it, but he he explains it just so much better than I can. I took a bunch of notes here and I was going to try to break it down. But you know what? I, I would only be, you know, not doing it any kind of justice. So instead of me reading, you know, my little notes that I took on, on his speaking part you know i'll just let him do it you know he expresses it so much better so then the next speaker is tim frecky f-r-e-k-e -E. he's a philosopher and he's a 
paralogical thinker. And one of the things I really like is I've been into this kind of lately where you should be able to hold two op opposing views in your mind simultaneously without having any conflict internally within yourself. Kind of paradoxical. And one of the things that I took away from what he said is there's nothing to reject, just to, things to evolve with. And another thing he said is the someone is waking up to the one. So... Yeah, he did, he does. I, you know, I took a bunch of notes on what he said too, but I'm gonna just let him express it. Did such a great job that I would just muddy up the waters. The next speaker is, and I edited out one or two of them because they were in speaking in Spanish, and I could have translated it. But uh, again, I wouldn't do it much justice uh, translating it. So, um, and before I get into Don Miguel Ruiz Jr. One of the things I like is you have people from different disciplines on here. So you have, you know, Chase Ironize, and he's a Lakota, you know, American Indian teacher of ancient knowledge and ancestral knowledge. You have Amit Goswami, who's a theoretical physicist, and he also seems to be Hindu, so he has that whole Vedic teaching along with the theoretical physicist part of it, which is pretty pretty cool. And you have Tim Freck, who's a philosopher. So he's bringing that uh, element to it. You have Don Miguel Ruiz, who's an author and a Toltec teacher. Kind of like Carlos Castaneda in that vein. And he does a great job with that. Then you have uh, Caroline Putman, who's also a spiritual teacher. She's an American. She went to live and married a man in, in Peru. So, you know, she speaks her part. Then you have uh, Indian Vedic teacher Swami Santananda. And then at the end, you have, uh, I don't have his name in front of me. Let me find that name, but he's a Taoist teacher. His name is, the Taoist teacher, his name is Master Gu, G-U. He's in China, he has students, and he gets into the ta Taoist aspects of things. And just before Master Gu, you'll hear something from a Tibetan Buddhist monastery. He doesn't interview anybody, but he kind of gets into that whole uh, Tibetan Buddhist aspects of, of uh, reality and teachings. So back to Don Miguel Ruiz, he gets into the dreaming aspect of it and he makes some really profound statements. He says that um, in the Toltec teachings they view life as art and as you create your life you're creating your own art and they get deeply into the dreaming aspect of of that. You know in, in the uh, what do they call that? The the lucid dreaming aspects of, of this these teachings. A quote that Don Miguel Ruiz said uh, really stuck with me was, I only have controls up to the tips of my fingers. I cannot control the will of another person, nor can I control their perception. I can only control my own. So it starts with me. Again, he puts it so much better than I do. So I'm going to roll the tape. This is going to be about an hour, I think about an hour and 20 minutes. I edited out about 20 minutes of, 15 minutes of it, I think I edited out. If you go to alphamalebuddhist.podbean.com, you're going to see all of the links here, the links to the documentary and to this gentleman's Patreon. So, yeah, stay uh, stay tuned. I'm going to be playing this. This is Creative Commons, fair use, licensed for this episode. And I uh, really do want to thank you for listening. And on this specific one, man, it'd be nice to get some a little bit more feedback from people. Tell, tell me what you think about this episode, the teachings. And I just like to see how many people this impacts and, 
you know, kind of your thoughts on it. So let, let's get into it right now, and I want to thank you for listening. Namaste and stay tuned. Every culture has a story, a worldview that explains who we are, what life is, and what our purpose is. Our story shapes the way we think about the world, and thus how we behave in the world. Since we are born and raised in the story of our culture, it is all we've ever known, and so we believe this story to be the truth. For most of us, this story is so rooted in our way of seeing the world that we don't even know it exists. To us, it's simply just the way things are. So what is the story of our modern culture? What are the beliefs that shape our understanding of ourselves and the world we live in? What is the story that we live by? And is it possible for us to see this story as a story? Or is it so deeply ingrained in our way of thinking that it is impossible to look at it objectively? Our complex culture lives under the influence of two main stories, the most widely accepted of which tells a tale of us existing as separate bodies in an unintelligent universe made of matter, and through a random and unlikely process of evolution, humanity came to be. The second story tells a tale of us being created by a powerful deity who created us in his image and who is the ruler of this universe, to whom we must worship and respect. These two stories shape the way that our society functions because they shape the ways in which we as individuals perceive the world, and thus how we act in the world. Our current stories suggest that we live in a world in which our individual lives are of little significance. Our stories promote a worldview in which our survival is dependent upon competition and a struggle to gain resources at any cost, even at the expense of our fellow human beings. Our stories have created a world in which we fight against each other and fight against the natural world in order to survive. And so, we've created a world in which we are rapidly destroying the earth that sustains us in a deluded attempt to further our own survival. If we are to ever be free of the confusion and destruction that is our current way of life, we need to slow down and take a moment to observe the beliefs that shape our understanding of ourselves and ask ourselves with honesty, sincerity, and genuine curiosity whether these beliefs are serving us and whether or not they are actually true. When we change the basic belief structures on which our worldviews are standing, we can change the very world that we live in. And the belief that influences us most of all is our belief in who we are. We need to change our definition of self because our current definition is that the self is something that is separate from the rest of nature. And this doesn't reflect how reality truly is. Because the truth is, we are not separate, isolated beings like our culture leads us to believe. We are all strands in the web of life, parts of the greater whole of nature. And more than that, we are the whole of nature expressed as individual parts. It can be challenging and even frightening for some to change our definition of self and to change beliefs that we have identified with all of our lives. But until we realize this fundamental truth that our true self is the whole of nature and that all beings are a part of ourself, then we cannot have peace and harmony on earth. 
when our actions reflect our understanding of oneness and have in mind the benefit of the whole, then every action will be one that benefits all beings. But to accomplish this, we have to be able to look at our cultural narratives, question the stories that we live by, and change this worldview of separation by realizing that ultimately all is one. All is self. Around the world, the truth of our oneness is known by native cultures, spiritual traditions, and even some modern scientists. This film aims to give these people of the world the opportunity to share their wisdom with you, with the hopes that you will see we are far more than what our current stories describe us as. I've had the great privilege of traveling to several different countries and learning from spiritual teachers and masters from these countries. The result of this journey is the film that you are now watching. It's my greatest hope that this film can help you realize that you're not separate, you're not alone, but that you're one with everything. It is only our beliefs that separate us. But in reality, all things are and have always been one interconnected whole. If enough of us can realize this truth, we can create a better world for ourselves and for future generations. I began my journey close to home, in search of a Native American tribe that I could learn from. Thankfully, I crossed paths with a wise and brave soul from the Lakota tribe named Chase Iron Eyes. Chase was once a politician, but when the Dakota Access Pipeline threatened his native land of Standing Rock, he gave up his political career and stood up to the corporations that were threatening not only his tribe, but the sacred water of Mother Earth, water that we all depend on for life. Chase shared with me the philosophy of the Lakota people and exactly why the pipeline was such a threat to his people and to all life on Earth. The Lakota uh, cosmovision or religion, way of life, uh, mythology, way of knowing, our, our, our metaphysics and our epistemology um, are ancient. They're, they're old, old as time, older than the concept of time. Um, and the Standing Rock movement tied directly in with our ancient cosmovision because you remember a phrase, uh, water is life, or mini-wichoni. And to say those words, mini-wichoni, to say water is life, is a, a spiritual recognition of the sanctity of water, of, of a natural element. Something that our modern uh, economy, you know, that's sold to us as civilization or civilized ways, doesn't even have the the, the space for the, the the mythological cosmological foundation and background to even appreciate a worldview that's able to just say water is life water is sacred and it's 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 like that because of of our knowledge base uh, we have stories that tell of, of a time of 
darkness uh, is one way to interpret it, but the word in our language is ha. And darkness is is not nothing. Dark darkness, dark energy, dark matter is holding the entire incomprehensible, sacred and infinite expanse together. Uh, science is now able to show this that you know five percent of the perceptible universe is what we as as human beings are able to kind of aware uh, avail ourselves of but during this time more than geologic ages ago uh, there there was a spirit a foremost and principal spirit that was became lonely and wanted to create of itself and we uh, our stories uh, personify this spirit as a male uh, which I don't know why we do that but that's not necessarily okay with my daughters you know what I mean like when I tell them these stories they don't they're like how could you say that a spirit is male or female and you really can't but that's the that's the culture that has been passed down so I, I just leave it neutral with an it this spirit its name is Ian and Ian uh, became lonely and wanted to create of itself in order to do this it had to sacrifice its own blood and give of itself create of itself and it began to spin uh, in motion and spun so violently that it created an explosion of intergalactic universal proportions and created the universe as we know it but in that process in giving of itself um, it lost its power its its foremost position as the principal spirit sort of the chief of, of spirits uh, and its blood became water its blood is water and its power flowed into the waters and into the blue dome the atmosphere around mother earth the, the, the blue dome that surrounds mother earth that's where Ia's power flowed into and it became other powers and other spirits but when we say mini wichoni Ia's blood is what we're talking about we call every creek every stream every river every source of, of water every spring uh, the bloodline of mother earth and and water is all connected there is no separation of water every drop of water is connected whether it's groundwater it's on the surface or part of the atmosphere it's all part of a, the water cycle a, a lot of Western um, uh, academia thinks that we are participating in something they, that they call animism where you worship like an animal totem and you do I mean and they're trying to understand it you know what I'm saying it's not like uh, but it's it's not quite that you know what I mean it's 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 that they're older than us and, and we have to honor 
and learn from them. That's our identity, our 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 personhood, our our nationhood, our existence as as people, and our source of creator-granted sovereignty uh, to be able to seek our own destiny, to provide for ourselves uh, in a, in what I call a spiritual economy. Uh, those those rights, those authorities, and, and those sources uh, descend from and, and come directly from those older beings, whether they're four-legged or the ones that crawl, the ones that fly, the ones that swim, or from the land, the sacred sites, and the waters, or the natural elements themselves, the sky, uh, Mother Earth, the sun, and so forth. We have a whole uh, divine order of of a, a cosmology that I want I want to share. I want we have a role to play in, in re civilizing the world, adding our our voice to that to the process. You know, everybody everybody was colonized by these forces of, of capital, of uh, you know the, the the empirical method or the scientific method. And science is not bad, but it had it had this effect of, of presenting itself that you know the scientific method and science, uh, empirical science, is the truth, and everything else is like some primitive superstition. And, and, and all these ceremonies and these uh, the, these uh, rituals are counter and anti to what you know the truth is or the scientific method is and we don't you know we don't view it like that you know the the ceremonies the instructions the gifts that are still alive today are are evolutionary in nature and so it's it's meant for us to be open to be worldly global and universal in scope infinite without without end so Science is good. We incorporate science and the scientific method. Anything Western academia, theology, or philosophy, or any of their metaphysics, uh, that's, that's part of their journey. And, you know, we're, we're at a point where we can, we can learn that. We can transcend it. Because for the longest time, those forces uh, are, have been used to usurp spiritual authority that we are all born with that's the process of colonization the separation of our mind from our spirit that happened in Europe thousands of years before anybody from Europe landed on our hemisphere uh, they separated people from their spirit from mind and from their food source and even their labor from meaning the, the capital along with uh, currency the concepts of currency when they were first created food surpluses you know what i mean in the very beginning um of what has been sold to us as civilization that process of colonization and s results in this separation that we talked about yesterday there there is a very real effort to separate you know spirit from mind and, and connection to people and to the older beings that that are in our natural universe and my effort is try to find ways to help the process of strengthening those connections rather than separating them or abstracting them or dividing them we need to unify come together and, and know 
that we each have a, a spiritual home together on this planet. I talked a lot about, you know, the word indigenous. It's, it's another one of those tricky linguistic things because when we, when we say indigenous, we want to think of the brown people of the jungles of South America or the term indigenous nudity, for instance, refers to people in that are trying to live in a liberated state. And it's, it's, it's for the, the last couple hundred years, it's been mostly brown people and black people who've been trying to do that. And so we now our, our, our dynamic is, is kind of set up like that. And it's not, it's false. We're all indigenous. We all descend from peoples and traditions and ways of knowing and being that were connected to the natural universe and the natural element. So we all had these cos cosmo visions. We all had those at one time. And now that you can see the people that, it, it, like they're seeking that spiritual liberation, they're seeking a way to connect and they're recreating it. And, and I'm here just to, to share, to learn and to provide guidance at the same time about, hey, this is, this is what has been alive in our cosmovision for untold centuries, you know, multiple millennia. And so that's why, that's why I wanted to come into these spaces, just to, to be available. According to the Lakota tradition, the universe was born from an eternal spirit named Ia. The Lakota people believe that all of life comes from this spirit and contains this spirit within it. If we stick to the story that all life is made of matter, then this philosophy sounds pretty strange. However, new discoveries in quantum physics are revealing that matter is really a form of energy, and this energy emerges from a source that is beyond space and time, a source that physicist Amit Goswami says is our consciousness. With this in mind, the Lakota philosophy doesn't sound so strange, but actually makes a lot of sense. It is a simple way of describing the truth that there is a domain of reality that exists beyond the world we perceive. Call it Ea, call it spirit, call it consciousness, the quantum field, God, or whatever you'd like. But it is from this domain of reality that everything comes into and out of being. The Newtonian worldview, which is also called the classical worldview, uh, teaches us that the world is made of matter, material objects, and the interactions of matter um, represent everything, explain every phenomenon, including what we experience. Um, so fundamentally, because the laws of physics that, as Newton formulated it, is deterministic, Fundamentally, this is just saying that we are machines. And so, um, in applying this um, philosophy to human beings, obviously we are limiting ourselves only to that part of the human being which is known, which is conditioned, which is a vast part of us, agreed. So certainly this is a description of a good part of us. It's just incomplete, because if human life was only to live life as you are built, as a machine, then there is no life to live, 
And indeed, we wouldn't have experiences, we wouldn't have worldviews, we wouldn't have philosophies, we wouldn't have meaning or feeling or intuitions to change and all this. Quantum physics allows us to make a science of all of our experiences because it fundamentally says that it's not matter which is the ground of being, but consciousness. Quantum physics says from the beginning that quantum objects are waves of potentiality, waves of possibility. And these waves of possibility reside in a domain that is outside of space and time. How is that different from space and time? It is different because communication is instantaneous in that domain. Instantaneous communication means no signal is needed. Instant of co instantaneous communication also means that everything in that realm is interconnected instantly, and therefore there is no separateness. What there is, is unity, one thing. And I have shown in my work that that one thing is our consciousness. Ancient traditions have suggested that the source of all life is this universal consciousness, from which our individual consciousness is an expression. New studies in quantum physics are beginning to reveal that what these ancient traditions knew was true. This information reveals that not only are we connected physically as bodies that are inseparable from the natural world that sustains us, but we are also spiritually connected by the one source of consciousness from which all life emerges. If there is only one consciousness, and it is from this consciousness that all things emerge, then why does it appear that we each have an individual consciousness? Amit Goswami explains that in order for there to be any experience, there has to be a subject and an object. There has to be the one who observes and the objects that are being observed. Without this subject-object split, there can be no experience. The mind is the medium through which this subject-object split happens, and in this way, the one field of consciousness experiences itself through different mediums, creating the illusion of separation. Yet, this illusion of separation is still a manifestation of the one substance of consciousness. It's instantly interconnected. There's no separateness. As soon as we manifest ourselves in this world, which is changing quantum potentiality into actuality, we get this subject-object split. I'm looking at you and you're separate from me. It takes me a signal to communicate with you. Now we definitely can explain how this is, because we have understood the mechanism by which brain makes a representation of consciousness in itself. Brain sort of captures consciousness in a, in a loop that consciousness cannot get out of. When you sleep, we get out of it, but then we are into oneness. So either oneness or separateness. The price of separateness is the individuality, because I have to identify with my brain. And my brain would, is going to develop different sets of memories than your brain. And therefore, the individuality as I grow will become bigger and bigger. The brain is a potentiality of matter that is different from the potentiality that makes a rock. A rock is a potentiality in which it can be broken down all the way to elementary particles. Brain is different from a rock in that it cannot be broken down all the way to elementary particles. It cannot even be broken down all the way to neurons. 
which cannot, and the neurons cannot be broken down all the way to elementary particles. Each neuron is also a closed-in world by itself, self-creating world by itself. But as potentiality, that is still potentiality of consciousness only. So consciousness itself creates within it this difference of rock-like entities, which is all the way reducible to elementary particles, and then irreducible entities that can capture itself. In that way, consciousness itself separates itself into two, and that's how quantum measurement is made. The whole idea of quantum measurement is the idea of making this loop, this what I call tangled hierarchy. The observer and the observed, this apparent, they feel an apparent separateness. That apparent separateness is into the oneness of consciousness, superimposed on the oneness of consciousness. So oneness of consciousness is still basic, but this one part of consciousness, namely the part with the tangled hierarchies, this part gets an approximate autonomy. So you are very perseverant in thinking that yes, the brain has to have something that is quite different. And indeed, the brain is very special. A living cell is very special. And that specialness is what enables consciousness to speed itself up into a part that feels that it is separate from the rest of the world. So life itself, a living cell itself, has that same strangled hierarchy so that the same kind of capturing consciousness can happen even for a single cell. So we don't need the brain. But the consciousness that is captured in the brain is capable of having much more experiences. So it's a much more sophisticated consciousness that we experience with the brain. That is also undeniably true. And when you do the quantum measurement, try to understand how quantum measurement can occur, this potentiality becoming actuality in the presence of an observer, and then we discover, yes, the observer's consciousness must be coming from that cosmic consciousness itself. Everything that is aware shares the substance of consciousness, shares the same spirit. The intelligence within us is but a reflection of the intelligence in nature. We are under the delusion that our consciousness is separate, but it only appears that way through the medium of our individual minds. In reality, there is only one universal consciousness that expresses itself as the appearance of many. So, at our essence, we are one. Yet, as the one, we experience ourselves as many. This may seem a bit difficult to wrap your head around, especially when we use the typical logic that we are used to using. To get a better understanding, it might help to introduce a beneficial mindset, a method of thinking that philosopher Tim Freak calls paralogical thinking. Paralogical thinking or for short, it's got a both-and thinking. Logical thinking says something is either this or it's that. It is or it isn't. So we're either having this conversation or we're not. It's either Thursday or it isn't. 
logical thinking, really good. I, I mean, I'm a philosopher. I really like logical thinking. I wish people would be a lot more logical than they are. However, if you want to look at the depths of life, you have to go beyond logical thinking. Not to contradictory thinking, but to paralogical thinking, which embraces paradox. So you can think in opposite ways, in a complementary way. So the example which I give in my book, Deep Awake, is the, the sunset. So this morning, it happens to be true that I got very early to catch a plane and I did watch the sunset. There I was, saw in the sunset. But someone could say to me equally, no, you didn't, Tim, because there is no sunset. Because actually the Earth is a, a planet revolving around the sun. The sun does not go anywhere. And both are true. And they're not contradictory. They're just different ways of seeing it. One is my experience, which is the sun comes up. Not the sunset, the sunrise actually was this morning. This comes up. And the other experience is a scientific understanding. Once you get that, you can start seeing these opposites come together. And one of the important opposites in spirituality is between the experience of oneness and the experience of individuality or manyness. Now, a lot of traditional forms of spirituality say that you need to wake up from your individuality, your ego, your separateness. And you, then you'll have the oneness. It's, not, it's either or. My experience is that's not true. It's much more um, interesting than that, that the two coexist. It's not one or the other. It's both all one and we're individuals. And that's important because there's nothing to reject. If you're fighting yourself, if you're fighting your ego, if someone tells you there's something wrong with you, well, God knows there's enough things that you can see about yourself. I can, you know, if someone goes, oh, there's something wrong with you, Tim, I can, you know, do you want the list? <laughs> and that's in the way, then I'll never wake up to the oneness. But what I found is I don't need to change. I, I need to change if I want to be a better human being, if I want to evolve, be a better dad, be a better husband, be a better whatever, writer. I need to evolve. But to wake up to my deep being, I don't need to change. It's there the whole time. And when I wake up to it, rather than it taking me away from Tim, I actually can actually engage with Tim. I can love him for a start off, which is not easy. And I can engage with his journey. So for me, the paralogical thinking is really important because it can help us go, no, not all one instead of many, but as well as. So let's wake up to the oneness, feel that big love, and then re-engage with the journey, the evolutionary journey of individuating being becoming more individual and then through that individuality we wake up more and then we become more individual and through that individuality we wake up to the oneness and the the someone is waking up to the one and then we're bringing the one the love into the world and we're engaging with an evolutionary process then that's been going on for 13.8 billion years and we're at the forefront of that process bringing ever more emergent qualities into existence. The, the, you can see this, this paradox everywhere, actually. There's, 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 I love some of the ones in science. One of the deep ones in science is in uh, quantum physics, where uh, Niels Bohr and the early quantum physicists were looking at light. What's light? And in this very famous experiment called the double slit experiment, they discovered that if you set the experiment up one way, light appears as if it's individual pockets of energy. And then if you set it up in another way, it's one wave. 
And Niels Bohr made this huge jump where he said, look, I don't think it's either one or the other. I think it's both, depending on how you look at it. And that's really profound. He called that theory complementarity, and it's his version of paralogical thinking. It's the same in physics. And what that that idea that look it, and that it's either discrete entities or it's one wave, and that's the same with us. We're either discrete individuals or there's just one existence. And what I love is that we can move between those perspectives. Oh, there's one. Oh, there's many. Oh, there's one. And we can move between those two. And we don't have to be stuck in either because they're both true in their own way. And the love comes when you have the both. If you just withdraw to the oneness, it's kind of empty. There's, there's, there's a, there's quite cold there. But if you engaged with the body and the journey and the, and the individuality as well, then there's this immense feeling. There's, there's connectivity. There's love. Because we connect because we're two. We connect as one because we are appear to be two. And it's that connecting as one through being two, which is the which is the love. The simplest way that I share to wake up is to first of all be conscious of how mysterious existence is, because what that does is it takes you out of the limiting ideas you have. Most of us come into a culture, we become enculturated by a certain story about what reality is. And then we just live in it. So you're not, you're not really very conscious at all. So you need to break out of that. And one of the ways of breaking out of that is doubt and, and questioning and mystery. So just to be here with a sense of just the breathtaking mystery that we exist and to feel that mystery, that immediately starts to wake you up. And then it's just a matter of what you do with your attention. So it's focus. So if you really focus in on your sensations, you'll start to wake up. And if you really focus back onto that presence we call I, the thing which is experiencing this, then this there's this that's where the ones can really can, can profoundly open up. And what I like to do is to do it with each other, so that I can connect in that oneness with you. So that we're both separate individuals connecting, but also one. So for instance, just looking at somebody. If you look on the surface, you just see a face. You know, oh, that's so-and-so. But if you look deeper, when you look at someone, you're connecting with another conscious being looking back at you. But what you see is the face, and that's amazing. But what you're connecting with, it's like now, what, what anyone who's looking at me is connecting with is another conscious being looking back, and you can't see that. It's beyond form. So this awakening starts happening when we pay attention through the form to something which is beyond form. And that sounds really strange until you've experienced it. And then it's not. Actually, it's, it's really obvious in that experiential way. It's experiential. You, can, you, can, you don't have to just have an idea about it. You can immerse yourself in the actual experience. And the more we do that, the clearer this oneness is, the more we... Even just intuit the oneness, the more love we have. In our essence, we are one, yet each of us has an individual experience. To reject our individuality is to deny our most fundamental experience. Yet, if we can understand that our individual awareness emerges from a universal awareness which all beings share, we can wake up to a deeper level of our being. 
where we realize our unity with all of life. Waking up to this unity gives us a profound sense of love for life, and then, as individuals, we can bring this love into the world. We can embody the very truth of our oneness and can create a world which recognizes our unity but respects our individuality as well. Still in the United States, I had the privilege of speaking with another wise soul, Don Miguel Ruiz Jr., an author and teacher from the Toltec tradition. The Toltecs were an ancient civilization in Mexico, and while their civilization no longer exists, their tradition lives on through the generations that followed them. One philosophy that the Toltecs had acknowledges the power our individual experience has in creating our collective reality. And I think it is a really simple yet profound philosophy to consider. The word Toltec is a Nahuatl word that means artist in English, artesano in Spanish. It's a name, of course, but that's, that's what the symbol represents. If I translate the phrase, the Toltec art of transformation into 100% English, it means the artist path of transformation. I am an artist and the canvas for my life is my life. Sorry, the canvas for my work of art is my life. Sorry, mm -hmm. got a little mixed up there. And um, that's what the philosophy really is. I can paint the most perfect nightmare or I can paint the most harmonious dream. And the way my family teaches it is that you could say that as a civilization, it ceased to exist over 500 years ago. It thrived over 500 years ago. You can say that we consider ourselves the, uh, the descendants of the Teotihuacans, from te the Teotihuacan civilization, and from generation to generation, from Tula to all these other places, the civilization blossomed and grew, fell apart, grew. It's just a cycle until you know the expansion of the Aztecs, expansion of the, the Spanish Empire, then you can say it ceased to exist in that way and it became an oral tradition. To us, the main function of the mind is to dream. Now, mind you, to dream in the Toltec tradition simply is to perceive and to project. So you can say that is the individual dream. I dream when I'm awake and I dream when I'm asleep. And if the main function of my mind is to dream, then the main function of your mind is to dream as well. Just like every human being in the world, every mind perceives and projects. It's engaging the environment. It's imagining things. And from that imagination, if they like it, they'll say yes, and they'll create something. They'll work. They'll create a work of art. They'll create a business. They'll create a bridge. They'll create a need in a community. And if you see a need that the community needs, then your imagination says, well, how can I fulfill it? And if I fulfill it, how do I go about creating it? And that's how the imagination works. So you can say that's the individual dream. The dream of the planet, you can say it's as small as you and I. Because in our communication, in our interaction, after we shake hands, we still interact mind to mind. And we, like right now, we're using English to understand one another. That's because that allows us to understand, allows me to perceive, hear how you perceive the life, how I perceive my life. And from there, we can listen to one another and we create something great. You can say we can create a friendship, we can create a partnership, that we, whatever. Right now, we're working together on this film. So we're working together to create this thing. So you can say that relationship is what we know as the dream of the planet. Or you can say in this simple form, the dream of us. Because we're interacting with one another. We're understanding one another. 
and it's as big as 7.5 human beings living life, and it's as small as three people in a room talking to one another. Mm -hmm. So for us, that's the dream of the planet. We can call it civilization, we can call it culture. Even though we are, uh, we are part of this, we can create the most perfect nightmare or the most perfect harmonious dream. While we're alive, anything is possible. How do we engage it, you know? Because we're, we're, we don't live isolated in a, in a hill. We don't live isolated in a monastery nor an ashram. We live in our environment. We live in our society. So what do I control? How do I contribute? because I only control to the tips of my fingers. I don't control the will of another person, nor do I control their perception. I only control my own. So it starts with me. It starts with myself. So if I want to contribute to a harmonious dream, then I begin to create a harmonious dream within myself to let go of any of those things that created a nightmare within my life. And part of that is to heal from those wounds. According to the Toltec tradition, each of us is living in our own personal dream, and together we create the dream of the planet. So if we are able to create a harmonious dream within our own minds, we can collectively create a harmonious dream for our planet. To create a harmonious dream within ourselves, we need to look at what is causing disharmony in our lives, whether it is fear, anger, anxiety, judgment, grief, depression, or whatever it may be. We have to look at these wounds that we have and we have to heal them. We have to accept them, forgive them, and let them go, or else they will continue to create a disharmonious dream for us, and consequently, a disharmonious dream for the planet. The Toltec philosophy shows the connection that our minds have, and just how much we impact the world. It points out the need for us to take responsibility for ourselves how we live our lives, and how our personal lives affect our community. Okay, my name is Caroline Putnam, and I'm originally from Louisiana in the United States. And um, I've been living in Peru for the last five years, and I've been working with Juan Gabriel. And together we created an organization called Revivolution, which supports indigenous wisdom to thrive in the modern world. And I'm really supporting people to integrate those teachings into daily life practice. I learned how simple it is, spirituality or connection is. It doesn't need to be mystical. It doesn't need to be over the top. It doesn't need to be visionary. I don't need to leave my body. I'm here as a person of the earth. And my job at this moment is to be grounded in that and to know how every decision that I make affects others. Uh, living in another country itself really can break down many barriers. Um, you really start to understand the cultural context and the way that we were formed in society. And so going beyond those boundaries of not feeling comfortable to speak a language or um, things like that, are, they really break down different aspects of yourself and build up the true essence. And so speaking to Juan Gabriel and his family, when they're only speaking Quechua and we're sitting on a dirt floor and we're chewing coca and eating potatoes, we're speaking only what's necessary and the basic and so this heart language comes out and I really appreciate the carol because of how playful they are they there's not a day passes that they just don't like play and play music and dance and um, it's it's joyful and it doesn't have to be serious and rigid 
And praying doesn't only have to be in ceremony. It's like every moment of the day, any moment of the day is fine, no matter where you are. So I really appreciate the groundedness of what it means to be human and to be alive. I wrote my first blog and it was about protecting Mother Earth or, you know, remembering Mother Earth and sharing with her. And I was like, oh my gosh, I don't eat organic food. And I just dropped it all in one day. I was like, went from my, and my budget didn't change. It's not like I like all of a sudden had more income or anything. I just made a value and a statement, like a, a value for my life and said, if I'm praying for the mother earth, I really need to follow up with that, with my tangible action. And so I really looked at the things in my life that were being imported. I really, even though in Peru there's this beautiful market and everything looks fresh and organic, there's people walking around with spray bottles every day. I see them spraying the farms. So I really picked out and know who I'm buying from and who I'm supporting. And the reason that ties into the connection to the earth is because when I'm buying food that's chemicals, I'm actually voting for mining companies to go into his community and mine out the chemicals that we need, destroy their environment, give them false jobs for like a, a year, destroy the environment, you know, and leave a disaster behind and want the children to move more into the city and get normal jobs and all of this to be forgotten. And so I'm voting every time that I spend and I, I really find that connection through consumership, you know, and then we can take it to the next level and the next level. I can talk about my clothes. I can actually make a garden. There's so many ways to approach that. And then we can speak about it on a spiritual level in my prayer, your your prayer, our prayer. Um, but more recently than not, over the last year, that some of the teachings finally sank in on a more personal level. And um, yeah, prayer was a big one. Really praying, and not only praying, but making offerings, whether it's just water with that I have with me, or wine and rum as we do in our tradition, or sugar or sweets or just anything. And not only waiting until I was around a maestro, but actually taking that initiative in my own life, that shifted a lot. And I can really see creation and the collaboration that happens whenever we pray and communicate. And so I, now I really feel that a lot. And I'm sure there's deeper levels to experience. So in my understanding, um, where the balance of everything exists within us and without us and in a more grounded way and I think we got real grounded just sharing that even just a baby growing in the womb receives the spirit of the man um, or the seed of the man and grows in the physical body of the woman and so Pachamama is the physical mother she's that nurturer and gives nutrients to us through food through water through air and spirit is the masculine is the spirit that lives within us and so it's the both that are combined into the whole. And um, that exists both with, within us as well as all around us. And so the honorings and the offerings and the, and the prayer are the recognition of the Great Mother and the Great Father that flows through all of life. It's the whole of creation. Juan and Caroline understand that there is a spirit in nature, an intelligence or consciousness that lives through all things a spirit that we must remember to connect with. But they also give great importance to the earth and remind us of the need to connect to the spirit in the land and to honor the elements that give us life. Their devotion to Mother Earth is something that I found inspiring 
and my meeting with them gave me a deeper appreciation for the land and a new understanding of how to connect with it. Still in Peru, I headed north to the Amazon rainforest to experience an Amazonian brew commonly known as ayahuasca. The Shipibo tribe call this brew uni, which means knowledge in their language. To them, it is a master plant that heals us and teaches us the ways of nature. This visionary brew is seen as medicine to the tribes of the Amazon and is never taken in the context of recreation or celebration. In fact, it is often a very unpleasant and challenging experience that causes us to face our fears, our traumas, and the many things that hide within our shadow, so that we may heal from these things and be free. I arrived in the town of Iquitos and headed up the river to a remote boat dock where I then hiked an hour into the jungle reaching an ayahuasca healing center called the Temple of the Way of Light. At the center, I sat in four ayahuasca ceremonies, led by two Shipibo maestros, and I had some of the most profound and transformative experiences of my life. The experiences are deeply personal and extremely hard to put into words, but I realized without a shadow of a doubt that I am one with the whole of nature. Not only am I a part of the whole, but I am the whole, expressing itself as an individual part. Just as the ocean expresses itself in individual waves, I realized that I am not limited to my material body, but that my true nature is immaterial. My awareness is not bound to this body. It is free, ever-present, and unchanging. It is the still and eternal witness observing and participating in this beautiful, moving art piece that we call life. As Shaman Don Jose Campos says, Consciousness never dies. It is always there. That is what I see with ayahuasca. I feel that ayahuasca takes away the masks we have and it shows you who you are. I had already learned so much in Guatemala and Peru, but my journey wasn't over yet. Next, I headed to the mystical land of India, a place celebrated for its many spiritual traditions. Here in India, I spoke with Swami Shantatmananda Saraswati, a teacher of the Advaita Vedanta tradition. My name is Swami Shantatmananda Saraswati. We all, uh, I teach uh, Advaita Vedanta here with Shankarabhashya. I've learned my, my studies from Swami Paramahathananda Saraswati from Chennai and from Swami Dhananand Saraswati in Rishikesh, as well as uh, from few other teachers who belongs to Swami Dhananji's tradition, like Swami Brahma Vidyananda and various uh, other Shastris. All that is here is one whole being. It is you. 
that is the teaching of advaita vedanta essentially everything is nothing but me myself therefore all that is there is only one whole being when i say when the shastra says when i say means when the tradition and the shastra says it is all all that is here everything that is here is one whole being it is consciousness it is existence we call it as satchitananda in simple words this is a very big word to be discovered really speaking we call it as simple words because it's a it's it's more uh it's more uh, known in this manner as satchidananda because everybody you ask would say that satchidananda satchidananda whether they know it or not they just say satchidananda more common word a parlance been used by people so uh, and for one to discover that it is one whole being one needs to take away that element of limitations that is superimposed upon that object you call a thing you say it is it is limited by its form it is limited by its name it is limited by its uh, by its utility or by its actions by its properties vedanta analyzes what is that substance really speaking what do you call sat the truth the innate nature the essential nature it happens to be the being of man correct that beingness is sat the existence in other words chit is consciousness when you say existence the existence thing becomes as though it is a very dumb kind of an inert thing what is existence within me i recognize it as consciousness the same existence within me when it comes to me it is it is a conscious thing that means existence when it is manifest in the mind it, it gets another name called consciousness mind is an element which makes you a conscious thing which makes you a conscious being it is a manifesting medium that's how it is it manifests existence very same existence is nothing but consciousness chit and this satan chit once understood as me myself i discover that all that is here is nothing but me anantam and when i say all that is here is nothing but me i i have now eradicated the sense of limitation once the sense of sense of limitation leaves me all that is there is only a limitless being when i have discovered myself to be limitless i don't need anything in order to be accomplished for me to be called yeah 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 a full person a total person i am contented with what i am correct because it has included everything in this creation if it included everything in this creation all that is there is only me when you say you become you rest contented with yourself ananda that is ananda ananda is not any laughing or smiling here that is the ananda sachidananda 
Subhanallah. And you as Atma is all the time free. You are ever free. Ever, ever unlimited. Ever you are, you are never limited by anything. This is your intrinsic nature. But you don't see that. You know, you forget it. You don't see that. And since I, that's because of ignorance, I don't see. Because I am ignorant about myself. My true essential nature is not known to me. And this nature not known to me. is in fact eradicated by wake of knowledge. So knowledge makes you see the fact that you are already free. The ever evident fact that I am free has to be claimed by me. That is called moksha. There is no other moksha. The very same witness consciousness is existing here in this creation as the being of every object, what we call as existence or being, that existence is easiness. When you talk about an object, you say it easiness. When you talk about me, you call it amness. That easiness and amness is all the time equated. If I discover that I am not the body, I am not the mind, and I come to Atma to see that I am of the nature of pure witness consciousness who is all pervasive here. You will understand from that standpoint there is no whiff of a difference between me and Ishwara. Between this Jiva and Ishwara, there is no whiff of a difference. What is it that cannot be seen which makes seeing possible? What is it that cannot be heard that makes listening possible? What is it that can't be touched that makes touch possible? What is it that can't be imagined that makes imagination possible? And what that's pointing to is our deep being. Now our deep being is right now is looking, but it hasn't got a shape or, a, or it's got no color. Shapes and colors are what it sees. They're objects. The subject has no color. The subject has no texture, you can't touch it. The subject, you can't, can't hear it, makes no noise, but it's listening to everything. And what that points to is this incredibly deep realization that the depths of our being has no form. That this end of our being has form, but this end of our being has no form. It's just being, just the presence of being. And the, the journey of awakening is that you wake up from the form to the formless this thing which is looking but you can't see and then from there you can then bring that oneness into the world and that oneness in the world manifests as love I've had the advantage of the opportunity to study a lot of traditions and write books on them and they're all different and they all have different flavors but there's something they've all got in common which is the deeper you go you can see that what they're really pointing to is a natural state of awakening, the thing I call deep awake. It's a natural human state. So a bit like you can go around the world and you'll always find food. Why? Because people eat. Is it the same food? No. It's really different food, but it's all food. 
and they're eating it because it's nutritious. Same with spirituality. It's all different. But go underneath, and it's all, it's all fundamentally about shifting consciousness from this to this deep awake state. So you, you come across it again and again. There is a fundamental non-dual oneness. And what matters is love and the wisdom to express it. Consciousness as the ground of being certainly is what people refer to as pure consciousness or Christianity tradition refers to as Godhead, Hinduism refers to as Brahman, and uh, you know many other names, uh, Judaism has the name Ein Sof, they're all the same thing, that oneness. Again, I was assured that our true nature is consciousness, that we've mistaken our identity with our ego our body and our mind, but that our true self is the one reality that underlies everything. I was beginning to see clearly that we aren't aware of this pure consciousness because our minds are so distracted. We think constantly and we have lost the ability to simply be and rest in our being without being disturbed by thoughts. If we want to realize our true nature, the consciousness that lies at our core, we need more than an intellectual understanding of it. We need to experience it directly. And this can only really be done in silence when the mind is still. Just as you can't see through the surface of a lake when it is disturbed by waves, you can't look deeper into your being when the mind is disturbed by thoughts. We have to still our minds and allow ourselves to rest in mental silence. Then our true nature is revealed, the consciousness that lies beneath the thoughts, beneath the worries, the fears, and the stories we tell ourselves. You are not this body, you are not this mind, you are not your name, your career, your accomplishments, your roles in life, your education, your self-image, or what anyone thinks of you. These are all things we have confused our true identity with. You are pure awareness. You are the witness of everything. The seer that can't be seen. The listener that can't be heard. The sensor that can't be sensed. Just as fire cannot burn itself, and a knife cannot cut itself, you, as consciousness, cannot be aware of yourself, for you are awareness itself the one who is always observing, and this observing presence is essential for the existence of everything. Think about it. How could anything exist without someone there to experience it? Who would know it existed? You are the essential ingredient in life, the one that brings the world into form. You are the formless presence in which everything exists. This pure awareness is the true nature of you, your family, your friends, your pets, every living being has at their core this pure awareness. This is the unchanging reality that lies at the source of all life. Seeking more knowledge about this universal consciousness, I headed further east to the country of Nepal. In Nepal, I was in search of a teacher from the Nyingma tradition of Tibetan Buddhism. This tradition teaches what they call Dzogchen, or the Great Perfection, and it is a teaching that claims our true nature is pristine, ever-present awareness, and it is completely whole 
and perfect just as it is. They say that all we need to do is realize we are already whole from the start and there is nothing we have to seek outside of ourselves. They call this pure awareness Rigpa and they resemble it to a mirror. Just as a mirror reflects every image within it but is never affected by the reflections, so too does awareness reflect all experience yet remains untouched by every experience. We have mistaken our identity for the reflections in the mirror, but if we can realize our true nature as the mirror that is reflecting, we can find freedom and peace. Unfortunately, I didn't get the opportunity to interview anyone from the tradition, but I did get the privilege of spending 10 days at the Kopan Monastery in Kathmandu, an experience that I will cherish for the rest of my life. Leaving Nepal, I headed even further east to central China's Wudong Mountains, a land renowned for its natural beauty, martial arts, and rich Taoist culture. Here, I stayed with Master Gu, a Taoist master and teacher of Tai Chi. The beauty of Wudong Mountains was astonishing, and of all my travels, I felt most at home here at Master Gu's small home on a mountain tea plantation. The environment was calm and peaceful, the nature surrounding us was beautiful, and in such a short time, I felt like I was a part of a family. Master Gu taught about the simple and natural philosophy of Taoism and how living in harmony with nature, we can achieve balance and harmony within ourselves. The Taoist 
practice Taoist objective is to remain one, to achieve oneness. If there is two, there is problem. You and yourself has conflict. So how to get rid of this? And、uh, no one can avoid having ego, but don't that that this ego, you know, even like、uh, covering the real self, real self. And、uh, the Taoist practice is to to be a 真人 true, literally true person, true man, like、uh, Zhang Sanfeng. He he has the name Zhang Zhenren, the true man of Zhang. So what is a true man? So you don't have if you have two, hardly you can achieve a true man. The true man is just going back to the original one, the natural one. We say Dao Wu Xing Wu Xiang, Dao, shapeless.、Um, it does not has a very fixed form. Dao is everywhere. Dao can be in you, can be in you, or you you are the symbol of Dao Dao Dao. And you can also be the same,、uh, the symbol of Tao. In this regards, yeah, everybody, everyone is collect collective because we are all one part of the Tao. There is a saying for Taoism, "Qi da wu wei, qi xiao wu nei." It means Tao is so big, so great that it has no boundary. No, no edge. It can be as small as you never find the end. And this way, we mean if we have the same feeling, same sense, or same following of the Tao everywhere we are, we say, 天下道友是一家 All those those friends under the heaven is one family. If you can realize you are one with the Tao, you will achieve your peace. Around the world, there are traditions and people that know with absolute certainty that we are one. Yet we don't always feel this in our lives. Most people seem to have no sense of this oneness at all, but instead feel rather separate, as if they are victims of the world, doomed to a life of isolation. I wondered why this is, and I discovered that it was because of our belief in who we are—a belief that is shared by our society and adopted by us at birth. This belief is so deeply ingrained in our minds that most of us aren't even aware of it. To us, it is simply seen as the truth, but in reality, it isn't the truth. And because we are identified with this belief, we form a false sense of self. And we live our lives invested in protecting and validating the existence of this false identity. While we are all one, we are also individuals. Both are true. We are like individual branches emerging from a single tree. There is nothing wrong with embracing our uniqueness as individual branches, but if we don't remember we're part of a single tree, we feel lost and separate from all of the other branches. And from the tree itself, we even become capable of harming the other branches as well as the tree itself, 
as we forget that essentially there is no division between us. Traveling to different countries has taught me so many things, but what I realized most was that what I had been seeking for for so long was something that already existed within me. I was seeking to know my true self. I looked for it all around the world, only to realize the obvious truth that since it is who I am, it is with me always. I can only forget my true nature when I confuse my identity with my thoughts, beliefs, and self-image, but I can never lose the essential consciousness that I am. I realized that my awareness is far more involved in this universe than I had previously thought. I'm not just some insignificant creature on a lonely planet. I am one with the source of all life. We're not victims in the world, but rather, each one of us is creating the world we wish to live in. Unaware of our true nature, we have created a world full of disharmony and destruction. But we can change that. We can create a new world together, one founded on love, on kindness, on care for the earth, on respect for other living beings, and the realization of our unity. It all boils down to choice. We choose whether we want to pretend to be victims of life, or whether we want to take responsibility for our lives. We choose whether we want to live in fear and invest in our self-image, or live in love and just be our natural selves. We choose whether we want to create something beautiful, or continue creating a violent world based on a false belief in separation. We choose whether we want to see through the lens of separation or whether we want to awaken to the truth that all beings are a part of the whole of nature. All are family. All is one. All is self. The essential nature of experience is the consciousness that shines in each one of us as the experience of being aware. This awareness is the aspect of experience that can't be removed, and it is shared by all beings. It is equally available to all people at all times, regardless of circumstances, age, race, gender, nationality, or religion. Realizing our true nature as awareness is the foundation of inner peace. Thus, it is the foundation of world peace. If we, as individuals, can awaken to the peace within us, then naturally it will create peace in the world. All that is required is for us to realize that our own fundamental existence is shared with the existence of all beings, and to live the implications of this realization in all realms of life. Once we shift our definition of self to include all beings, then the world can heal, then the world can change, then the world can live in peace. Thank you for taking the time to watch this film. I hope that it was able to point you to the truth of who you really are, because you are far more than this isolated ego personality that feels itself to be separate from nature. In truth, there is no separation in nature. All beings are an extension of the total universe, 
the whole of nature is expressing itself through us. And if we can realize this wholeness, this energy, and this awareness within ourselves, then we can recognize it within others as well. And we can see that there's no separation between us. And when we realize that all beings are a part of ourself, then naturally this love, this compassion, and this kindness will arise within our hearts and we'll begin acting in ways that are motivated by this love. We'll begin wanting to be of service to nature, to be of service to humanity. And this is what the world really needs because the problems in the world today are a result of a worldview based on separation on seeing ourselves as separate from the whole of nature, on seeing ourselves as separate from each other. This is what allows for us to cause harm to the environment without realizing how it affects us. This is what allows us to cause harm to one another without realizing the repercussions of our actions. Because what causes harm to nature, what causes harm to another, causes harm to ourselves. And what brings happiness to another brings happiness to ourselves. So if we can realize this truth within us, and if we can be inspired by it to act in ways that honor this truth, that honor nature, that honor life, then I'm certain we can create positive change in our world. If you'd like to learn more about what this film discussed, I've also written a book with the same title, All Is Self, and it's available as a paperback or as a free ebook that you can download in the link below this video. Now, I've made this documentary and this book available for free because I want it to help people to awaken to this truth within us, to realize our connection to nature, our connection with each other. But it was not free for me to make these. It cost a lot of my money, a lot of my time and energy putting all of this together. So if you feel called to support me in this work so that I can continue making more videos, continue writing books, continue creating content that's available for free, then please consider donating and supporting me so that I can continue to do this. And I've also provided a link to my Patreon account in the description below this video. And Patreon is a platform that allows people to support creators for the work that they do. And it also comes along with different benefits depending on the subscription that you do. So it's a monthly subscription based platform. And donating $1, you get access to articles, and blogs, and posts that are exclusive to Patreon. If you donate $5, you get access to a podcast that I'll be doing every single week on Patreon exclusively. And there's other, other tiers of subscription that give you different benefits based on what you feel like donating. So if you feel called to and if you're able to support me in this work, it's really appreciated. It really helps me so that I can continue doing this. So thank you again for taking the time to watch this film. May it inspire you to realize this truth within yourself and to act in ways that honor this truth, that honor nature, that honor other living beings. May you be happy, may you be healthy, may you be free. Welcome to the Alpha Male Buddhist from Brooklyn podcast. I'm your host, 
Miguel. I like to cover topics from ancient history, great leaders and generals from the past, and I also like to talk about self-realization, truth, critical thinking, and strategic spirituality. Outside the box, nonconformist. I'm here to shatter the myths of the mainstream media and the beta sheeple narrative. My email address is alphamalebuddhist at gmail.com. My website is alphamalebuddhist.podbean.com. My Instagram is alphamalebuddhist. And check out my YouTube channel, Alpha Male Buddhist, and that's on YouTube. It is the podcast accompanied with video clips that integrate exactly with the podcast, so it's motivational and inspirational. I also have promotional t-shirts. If you go to my website, alphamalebuddhist.podbead.com, you can see the promotional t-shirts there. Reach out to me. Also, if you have any show notes or any suggestions that you would like to hear on the podcast, just reach out and see if I can get that done. I've been getting some really great emails and feedback from my listeners, which is great. So I want to thank you for listening and namaste.